How many of you have relatives that fought in World War II? I remember looking at some of my Grandpa Mitchell's old pictures. He had pictures from some of the concentration camps after they had gotten in there. You think about the horrors of those concentration camps and some of what went on there. How do you get such large numbers of people to walk to their death? One of the biggest answers, as many of you know, is deception. Deception. Many of those Jews and others lined up in those concentration camps walked into the gas chambers believing they were heading for showers. Come this way, the Nazi guard said, for a shower. Little did they know they were walking to their deaths. Deception is a deadly tool of war. And it's a tool that Satan looks to use against the church of Jesus Christ today. Satan has a plan in the war against the church and a big part of it is deception. That's what we're going to see in 1 Timothy chapter 4. If you've been with us the past few weeks, you remember Paul's writing to young Timothy in Ephesus, and one of his main purposes is to say, Timothy, there's false teachers going to rise up among you to lead the church astray. You need to stay there and fight against this false teaching. Today we're going to get a little glimpse of what some of this false teaching looked like, and sometimes looks like today, and how we can be aware and steer clear of it. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, Paul writes, The Spirit clearly says that in later times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Now we don't know if Paul's talking about prophecies that Jesus made or things that he said or even Old Testament prophecies But the point is clear. The Spirit has prophesied many times in the Bible that false teachers will come. And Paul gets right to the root of it. He says where they come from. They come from deceiving spirits and demons. That's the first thing we need to grab onto. When I grew up, I grew up watching G.I. Joe, the great American hero. Any other? All right, a couple. What was the, the, the key phrase at the beginning? Knowing is, thank you, Becky. (laughs) All right, knowing is half the battle. All right, Paul's saying, look, you need to be aware there's a war going on. There's a lot of ideas in the world. They're more readily accessible today than ever, right? And what Paul's saying is, heads up. Many of those ideas don't have human roots at all. They come from a more diabolical source, a a demonic source. And you need to be discerning in the ideas that you allow into your mind and into your church. There's a war going on. So now that he's told us the source, he's going to tell us that they also come through a channel. I don't know if many of you in this room have had a face-to-face conversation with a demon. I never have. At least that I know of. Often they use people. 
as their conduits. That's why verse 2, he says, such teachings come through hypocritical liars. Hypocrite in the Greek has the idea of actor. These people are good actors. They, they probably look and sound really spiritual. You may have even heard them teach in a church. They're hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. That phrase is interesting because it can mean a couple things. It can mean the idea of, of like a cattle brand. You see that a lot out here, right? A couple weeks ago, my boys wanted to dig a hole because my son Evan got a new shovel. <laughs> okay, so we went out in the field behind our neighborhood and we're digging this hole and it, it was nice soft dirt after all this rain and we got about four feet deep and then a couple came walking by in the field. What are you all up to? They look kind of suspicious. I said, my sons just wanted to dig a hole. Oh. But we made sure to fill that hole in because, what, cows wander all over the place out here, right? And There's even a verse in Exodus or Leviticus that says, if, if you dig a pit and you know it's there and somebody else's cow falls in it, you're responsible. <laughs> I won't be responsible for anybody's cow falling in, but a lot of these cows, if you look close at Adam, they have a brand on them. This is their cow. They may, may be wandering on this field, but they belong to Farmer Jones or whoever. That's one possible meaning of this. These, these hypocritical liars have been branded by Satan. He, is, he has claimed them for himself and is using them for his ends. They look good, but he's working his purpose. That's one possible meaning. Another possible meaning of this phrase has more the idea of cauterized. Any medical people in here? When you cauterize something, it gets to a place where it can no longer feel, right? Numb after it's cauterized. And he's saying they, they have violated the truth of God's Word so many times in their words and their actions, they don't even feel it anymore. They may not even be aware how deceived they are themselves because they've been walking down this path of darkness. Demons teaching through hypocritical liars. Now, what are they teaching? After that lead up, you've got to be like, man, what is it they're teaching? This has got to be something really out there, like really, really juicy, really raunchy. What are these people teaching? Look what he says in verse 3. It might surprise you. It might seem kind of anticlimactic after that buildup. They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods. And after all that buildup, I mean, is there anybody kind of like, what, no, no seances? Like no weird religious cultic rituals out in the woods? Like no orgies, no wild raves, no drugs? Forbid people to marry and, and to eat certain kinds of foods. In certain groups, that actually sounds kind of holy. That actually sounds kind of super spiritual. Many scholars believe what we're dealing with here is an early form of something called Gnosticism. Have you heard of Gnosticism? It's the idea that all matter, all created matter is evil. Spirit is good. Matter is evil. You may have run into some of this even in churches sometimes. It's out there. It finds its way in even to the Christian faith. 
But what's the problem with that? The problem is Genesis 1. Where does creation come from? Creator, God. And when he created, what did he say repeatedly? It is good. It is good. It was very good. That's why Paul goes on here and starts to explain the problem with this teaching. They forbid people to marry, order them to abstain from certain foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth. He's saying, hey, God gave you these things to enjoy. They're part of His good creation. He wants you to enjoy them and thank Him for them. For everything God created is good. And nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving because it's consecrated by the Word of God and prayer. Now, we've got to be careful here, right? Because we know God's good creation can be abused. Correct? Think about the gift of sex meant for marriage. It can be abused outside of marriage or in homosexual marriage or in a number of ways. You think about food, it can be abused through gluttony. So we're not saying that there's no such thing as abuse of God's good creation, but we are saying God did not make anything evil. He made everything good. And creation, when used as intended, is a good gift from Him that's meant to inspire thanksgiving and praise that goes back to Him. Enjoyment. So I thought about this this morning. This doesn't often happen, but I actually wept this morning as I was wrapping up my thoughts. I've been working on this throughout the week, but as I got up this morning and started praying, God, lead me to the, the point. Show me your heart for your people. I began to weep at how incredibly deceptive the enemy is toward the church of God. It made me weep. Because on the surface, this sounds so spiritual. And actually, I don't know if you remember that movie a couple years back, more than a couple now, Mr. Deeds, he had a butler that said, Sir, I fear you've underestimated the sneakiness. <laughs> he had a very sneaky butler. I, I, I read this passage and I couldn't help but think, I think a lot of the church has underestimated the sneakiness of the enemy. He's so deceptive. Why was it making me weep? Because as I thought about him and what he does, here's kind of the core of where I wanted to go this morning. If Satan can get you to feel guilty for enjoying God's good gifts or to question the goodness of God's gifts, he will soon get you to question the goodness of the giver himself. You see how sneaky it is? It starts out sounding super spiritual, but before long you start to question His very goodness. And what happens when we doubt His goodness is sinful temptation becomes much more powerful in our lives. Because we may start to think like this. God may not have my good in mind. So that being the case, I'm going to have my good in mind. And I'm going to seek what I feel is good for me, regardless of what He says. I don't know if you've ever been there. 
I think what happens at that moment is the enemy laughs a cruel, dark laugh as another precious creation of the Father follows the enemy to the slaughterhouse. Deceived. I've convinced another one that their Creator is not good and does not love them. A dangerous place to be. And all the while, I I see the Father. I imagine Him saying, No, my child, I gave you that good gift because I love you. I want you to enjoy it fully. Of course, don't worship it. Worship Me, but enjoy My gifts fully. And as you enjoy it, let it bubble up into praise and thanksgiving back to Me. Don't confine your worship to a half hour in the morning when you have your Bible open or an hour on Sunday. Let worship spill into all of your life as you enjoy the many good gifts I've given you. When we fail to thank God for His good gifts and enjoy them, we start to look for our own sinful paths or sinful paths that many others are ready to lead us down. I've been reading through the book of Numbers lately in my own quiet time, and the nation of Israel as they wandered through the desert gives us countless examples of what happens when we let go of thankfulness for God's good gifts. The kind of spiritual danger that we find ourselves in. I'll give you just three from Numbers chapter 11 and couple chapters after. The first one has to do with when we're not thankful for God's provision. Anybody wrestle with that? Not being thankful for what God has provided me with right now. Numbers 11. Many of you will remember a familiar scene. Verse 4. The rabble with them began to crave other food. And again the Israelites started wailing and said, if only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. Also the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic. But now we've lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. What did they forget along with their list of food in Egypt? That you were slaves doing backbreaking labor. And as they talk about the manna, Imagine the manna supernaturally provided every morning so that they would go out and gather it and bring it into their tent and have enough for their family. But like all of us at times, they lost sight of their their gratitude for God's provision, started to crave other things. They wanted meat. And God basically said, you want meat? I'll give you meat. I'll give you so much meat, you're going to get sick of it. You remember Numbers 11.33, while the meat, the quail that he sent, was still between their teeth, and before it could be consumed, the anger of the Lord burned against the people, and he struck them with a severe plague. Therefore the place was named Kibroth Hatava. That means graves of craving. Because there they buried the people who had craved other food. Now eventually God lifted the plague, but I can't help but ask, how different things could have been if they had said, 
Thank you, Lord, so much for this magical manna that you put out every morning. We're out here in the desert, maybe two million of us, and you're giving us food every morning. Thank you. How different could things have been if they'd held on to that gratitude? Well, we this morning look at where we're at in our lives and say, thank you, Lord, for your loving provision in my life right now. Whatever it looks like, thank you. Thank you. The next chapter, we see some griping about position. That's a big deal in this world. People like to gripe about position and power. Numbers 12.1 Miriam and Aaron, Moses' brother and sister, began to talk against Moses because of his Cushite wife, for he had married a Cushite. That bothered them, that he was married to a Cushite. Shouldn't have bothered them. But something else was bothering them as well. Has the Lord spoken only through Moses? They asked. Hasn't He also spoken through us? What's going on? They're like, look, Moses is getting all the notoriety leading this group. Everybody looks at him as the head honcho, but haven't we been here doing our part too? We deserve a little bit more recognition. They were jealous of Moses' position. They were not content with their own. They had a special position in the deal, but they weren't content with it. They had to go for more. So God said, come to the tent of meeting, the three of you. (laughs) It reminds me of when I get called to the principal's office. Right? Come to the tent of meeting. And He says to them, why were you not afraid to speak against My servant Moses? The anger of the Lord burned against them and He left them. When the cloud lifted from above the tent, Miriam's skin was leprous. It became as white as snow. Now eventually, Aaron and Moses cried out for healing and God graciously did heal her. But they learned a lesson that day. Be thankful for the position God has given you. Think how different things could have been if they had said, thank you, Lord, for allowing us to be a part of leading this nation with our brother Moses. Thank you so much. And it leads us to our lives. We look at the opportunities and the positions God's put us in. Can we say with a grateful heart, thank you, Lord. I may not have this opportunity or this opportunity, but I do have these. Help me to make the most of them. Thank you, Lord. The final one has to do with God's providence, His ability to lead and take care of us through various situations. Numbers 14. You remember they're at the edge of the promised land. And they sent in the twelve to go look around and spy things out. Two came back with a good report. Caleb and Joshua. Land's full of fruit. We can, we can take it with the Lord's help. But the rest of the spies focused on the size of the opposition. Numbers 14.1 As that night all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness, why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? 
Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. (laughs) Go back to Egypt. Go back to slavery. The enemy's crafty. When we lose our gratitude, we start to think all kinds of crazy things. Verse 26, The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, How long will this wicked community grumble against me? I've heard the complaints of these grumbling Israelites, so tell them, as surely as I live, I will do to you the very thing I heard you say. In this wilderness, your bodies will fall. Every one of you, 20 years old or more, who is counted in the census and who has grumbled against me. Not one of you will enter the land I swore with uplifted hand to make your home, except Caleb and Joshua. As for your children that you said would be taken as plunder, I will bring them in to enjoy the land you have rejected. But as for you, your bodies will fall in this wilderness. And I read that and I think, how different could things have been for that generation if they had been thankful for God's provision to that point and said He brought us here, we can trust Him to take us all the way home. How different could it have been? And then can we say with a, an open and thankful heart to the Lord, thank you, Lord, that you brought me here to this point in my life. And I trust you to take me the rest of the way home. Thank you, Lord. Often when we think of the Christian life, I think we focus on what we need to say no to. Don't do this, don't do that. And, there's plenty of that in the Bible, right? There's plenty of don't, don't participate in this transgression or this sin. That's, that's an important part of the walk. We just put up a, a dartboard in our garage this weekend. It was Friday night and we are at Walmart and we knew the big rainstorm was coming. So we said, we need something fun to do inside tomorrow. There's a dartboard. Let's take that home and hang it in the garage. So Friday night we hung it up and right by where the dartboard is, there's the door that comes into the garage from the laundry room. And we thought, boy, it wouldn't be good for somebody to be opening that door and walk right in. So we mentioned that to the boys, and they both took it upon themselves to make some warning signs. Jaden got on the computer and made one, one up and said, warning, darts in progress. Do not enter. If you do, may result in lung failure. Spine loss. (laughs) Spine loss, I love that one. Constipation was on the list. My friend Mike said, how do you get constipation from a wayward dart? I don't want to be that guy, okay? But he put that one up. His little brother made one in pencil that said, do not come in here. All right, there's a lot of that in the Bible, like don't do this because it's going to bring you harm. We need to remember those. We need to say no to sin. But I want to throw something out this morning. What if one of our greatest protections and greatest keys to victory is a thankful heart? What if our greatest protections against sin is a thankful heart? A wholehearted yes and thank you, Lord, for your good gifts.
I'm going to say something. I'm going to try to be tactfully blunt. Hopefully I hit the mark. Generally, when is a spouse the least likely to cheat? In the moments following intense marital bliss. Okay, tactfully blunt. You get my point? Okay. When are you least likely to turn away from God? When you're busy thanking Him for His good gifts and enjoying Him and His gifts the way He intended you to enjoy them. Right? Doesn't that make sense? Think about the following experiences. A a heart that jumps when you see an Arizona sunset. A chest that jiggles with laughter when a child says something unexpectedly funny. Goosebumps when your spouse tells you they've been praying about the unmentioned weight on your heart and they name it exactly. Think about an eye that sheds a warm tear when a friend says an encouraging word. Think about a full belly and a relaxed pause as you sit around a table with good friends and loved ones. Think about the wind in your hair as you ride that motorcycle down the clear highway. That moment when you close the last page of a great book and you hold it there and you say, I see life more clearly now because of the way that author put that. What if at those moments, instead of fighting a weird sense of super spiritual guilt for enjoying these things so much, you allow them to go all the way and bubble over into praise to the Creator who made them all possible? What if each of those moments became a moment of worship? 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. That doesn't sound like just one hour on Sunday or half an hour in the morning even. G.K. Chesterton said this, You say grace before meals. All right, but I say grace before the concert and the opera, and grace before the play and pantomime, and grace before I open a book, and grace before sketching, painting, swimming, fencing, boxing, walking, playing, dancing, and grace before I dip the pen in the ink. Ultimately, all super spirituality takes our focus off of what Christ has done for us and puts it on our own man-made lists. That's the worst part of it. Paul wrote to the Galatians in chapter 5, verse 1, it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Don't let these super spiritual charlatans hold you down. (laughs) Enjoy God and His good creation and let it bubble over into wholehearted worship. One of the greatest protections against legalistic enslaving teaching 
is a free heart filled with thanks to God for who He is and His wonderful gifts. Amen? In that spirit, I'd like to invite you to close your eyes. I just want to walk you through a psalm that does just this. Psalm 145. I will exalt you, my God the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty. And I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell of the power of your awesome works. And I will proclaim your great deeds. They celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all He has made.